of the song. Those are the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. And he meant those words, and he still means them today. And they're still available, the rest that he's promised us. So uh, that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful to be here. We thank you for, uh, for those who lead us in worship. We thank you for their service and for their talents. We thank you, Lord, for their dedication to you. And Lord, we thank you for song and for music. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to lift our voices to you and to praise you this morning. And Lord, we, we do come to you this morning for rest. Rest for our souls, for our minds, for our hearts, even for our bodies. And Lord, this morning, we pray that you would speak to us about your rest. Convince us, Lord, that it's right and it's true. And may we trust you as we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of, of rest, we visited with some family on Friday. We drove up to Evansville. And Nancy's brother and her sister uh, each have new babies in their families. And so within three months, there have been a couple of new births in the family and two new little boys. And, and it was interesting, uh, you know, we were there and got to visit with them. And, of course, new babies are, are just incredible. Uh, you, you love, you know, holding a new baby, talk, you know, kind of talking to them. And they kind of, you know, talk back to you a little bit. Everybody gets excited. And, of course, it's really fun to see new life being born and, they bring out in us things that we never knew were there. You know, they bring out this, this new love and this new way of acting. And, and, and of course, in grandparents, it just, it, they, you know, they lose their minds immediately, you know. And so I know some of your grandparents used to be normal, and now you have grandchildren, and you're not normal anymore. Maybe you're just always that way, just looking for an excuse. I don't know. But my parents, when, when Lucy was born, our oldest, they just, that was it. They lost their minds, and now Dad has no money, or at least he doesn't have any he wants to hang on to. And, you know, it's just the way it is. It brings out stuff. Stuff in you that you just never knew was there, and, and it also uh, causes for you a, a level of fatigue that you never knew was possible. I was talking with my brother-in-law, and he just kind of looked at me and he said, "I never knew what tired was before we had this baby." And I said, "Well, that's that's exactly right. It doesn't get any better, but it's interesting. There's a, a new level of tired when you have a, a new baby in the house." And for some, you, you know that that has never stopped. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're not a parent, but, but you, you know that as life has gone on, there's just a new level of fatigue, it seems, at each stage of life. I would venture to say that the only folks this morning who have not experienced that level of fatigue are those who have either truly, you know, they've, they've, they've lost a little bit of reality, they're just not paying attention anymore, and God bless them, good for them, or they're too young to know that you're supposed to be worn out in life, you know? Our kids sometimes don't, don't understand that. They just go and go and go. They wear us out and then they fall asleep and, and sleep real well. But I wonder what describes you this morning. Are you tired? Somebody, amen. Sort of, <laughs> that's, that was sort of an amen. Are you tired? Maybe as they used to say in the south end of Louisville where I grew up, you're tarred. <laughs> we ain't tired. We're just tarred. You whipped. You're not worn out, you wore out. You beat. I was asking somebody earlier, how you doing, how's life? And the response was, as it typically is from so many people, it's busy. One thing after another after another. For some, you're frustrated this morning. You feel like life is sort of passing you by, maybe. You can't get ahead. Always scrambling. 
And so as a result, maybe you feel a little empty or hopeless or you're just struggling or maybe just kind of drifting. And this is not just for those who have young children. This is for all of us this morning. I was talking with two college guys earlier and just thinking back to how once I left high school and came to college, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I, people would ask me, how are you doing? I'm just busy. And guess what? In the next stage of life, you're busier than you were. And then busier at every stage of life, you're just a new level of fatigue. And so most of us here, I would venture to say, are either right in it right now or have experienced it, the idea of being stressed out, worn out, worked out, burned out, and about to flame out and give out. You're just done. You beat. You're tarred. I wonder how many of us are truly living the life of joy and peace and fulfillment that Jesus promised that he would give to us. I wonder how few of us have come to believe that actually that kind of life is possible. And why are we this way? Why have we come to church on Sunday morning and we put on our smiley faces and try to pretend like we're not tired, but we just are. We're worn out and whipped. And physically, I wonder... Maybe it has stuff to something to do with what we eat or how little we sleep or how much we work or how little we exercise and play. Emotionally, some of us have been hurt real bad and we're worn out emotionally. And we've had to care for others an awful lot. Maybe you've had very little break emotionally. It's just one thing after another after another. And every waking hour, you seem to just deal with some other emotional issue and you have very little capacity left. You're doing for others what needs to be done, but you've not taken any time to kind of peel back and say, hold on just a second. Emotionally, I'm just spent. Mentally, I wonder if our problem is because of how much we worry and how little space is left there for anything else. Spiritually, we're worn out because I would venture to say that throughout the week, if you're normal, if you have that normal, busy, kind of worn out schedule, you spend very little time in communion with the Lord. Each day goes by and you say, tomorrow I'll get up and I'll spend some time with the Lord or tomorrow night before I go to bed, and it just doesn't happen. Spiritually, we're worn out because I truly think that seldom do we ever really worship the Lord. We've got so much more of the Bible that we want to know and want to understand, or maybe you're just trying to help and save everybody, and spiritually, you're whipped. If you're stressed out and you're worn out, worked out, burned out, about to flame out and give out, then you're not alone. There's a whole room full of people this morning that are just like you. They don't want to admit it, okay? But I know. And if that's you, odds are you're wondering why this morning. Why am I so worn out? Is there not something better than this? But I'll tell you this, not everybody's worn out. Not everybody is whipped. There are people here today who have found the secret to not being that way. Not everybody is running on empty. Some of us are celebrating. Some of us are enjoying life. Some of us are living it to the fullest. And that's because not everybody has drifted from the rhythm of life that God intended for us from the beginning. I'm starting a a new sermon series today, and it's called Celebrate. On November 6th, I've mentioned this before, and some of you might have heard this, and I'll just reiterate it one more time. November 6th, we are going to have a 170th anniversary celebration for our church. Our church was founded in 1846, and so been around a while, and you say, well, why 170? And why not? Let's, let's eat together, okay? So that's what we'll do. And so we're going to eat together and, and then eat some more, and then we'll go to the dessert table, and, and then we'll eat a lot more. Uh, and, then, and They put those little plates, this is off of it, put those little plates on the dessert table. And that is the funniest thing to me to watch everybody go through and think, and I want a little bit more that will fit on that plate. 
But everybody's kind of, well, I don't know, you know. Anyway, get you a big plate and eat dessert on November 6th. So that's what we're going to do. And so we're, we're spending this year commemorating and celebrating what God has done. Last week we had the chance to hear from Dennis Manley, who's our director of missions for our local association. We, we've had different folks come in this year. We've had uh, folks from Lifehouse uh, Care Center. We've had the BCM. We've had uh, those from Sunrise and, and others who will be here and, and, and help us to celebrate. And that's going to be a great day, a day to celebrate. And as we celebrate, we, we join with all the, the, the saints through the years that have celebrated what God has done in and through them. And, and this series that we're in called Celebrate will lead us up to that Sunday. And what we're going to look at are the various things that God told the people to do in order to celebrate who he was and what he had done. So we're going to look at what they celebrated, how they celebrated, why they celebrated. And it's going to center on the Old Testament festivals. Some of you might know of Passover and Pentecost and, and the Festival of Tabernacles and so on. I've never heard a sermon series on all those things, nor have I ever preached one, nor have I really studied it. Real well. And so I was telling some of the ladies this morning, I got a stack of books about this high that I'm working through to try to get my mind around what is it that those folks celebrated? How then can we, living in a New Testament era, still celebrate the same things that God is about in this new era? And so that's what we'll look at in this particular series. And so maybe that's something interesting to you and new to you, but we're going to highlight all the things that God told them to celebrate and how he's still doing those same things and we can celebrate them too. So, so we come this morning to the very first one and, and we, as I've just described, we have a problem and it's very simply put, our problem is, as we've already described, is exhaustion. Uh, most of us show up today in one way or another, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, or all of those, and we are exhausted. And, and you just look forward to coming to church because you can sit there and nod off to sleep while that guy drones on from up there on the stage and you can finally get some rest that you've been wanting all week. It's the only time you get to sit down and your kids maybe are across the way and whew, all right. But we're exhausted. And many of us exhausted in every way possible. That's no secret to you. You live it every day. You know what I'm talking about. And just when you think you've turned a corner, something else comes up, and then you're exhausted again, you're back to square one. Now, we, we know what our problem is, and we can explain why we've gotten to that point, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and we can rehash it all day long, but it's not going to do us any good. So my point this morning is not just to say, hey, you're exhausted, I'm exhausted, let's get some rest and see you later. All right? That's not the point this morning. The solution comes from God himself. Now, there are lots of different solutions that are offered to you, of course. Uh, if, you, if you say, well, hey, you know, I, I'm exhausted, what should I do? Some folks will tell you, well, you're worn out because you're, you're just not following your dreams and, and, and the, the fulfillment that you lack is, is because you're not following your heart. So find something that makes you feel like you're making a difference. If you watch television in any way, you'll see the advertising tells you how to get over exhaustion. What do they tell you? Buy this. You're going to be fine. Everything will be perfect in your life after you buy this. Some folks will tell you, you know, emotionally, relationally, you're exhausted because you're, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. You know that song? So they tell you get married or don't get married or have kids or don't have kids. Some folks will tell you, well, you're emotionally worn out because you don't express your feelings enough. And so they say, express your feelings. Tell me, how does that make you feel? Or maybe you're worn out because you need a different job or you need some exercise or you need to stop feeling responsible for everybody else or, or you need just to plan your day better. 
and get more out of each day and set a timer and work for 50 minutes at a time and then take 10 minutes off to let your brain rest and then go hard again for 50 minutes or maybe it's 45, I forget. (laughs) And plan out your week better. Now, all those things might work to some degree, but they all address symptoms of the exhaustion. It's all stuff externally that maybe they'll work for a short time, but none of those get to the foundation of getting us past our physical and emotional and mental and spiritual exhaustion. God has the solution. It's one solution throughout all of Scripture from Genesis all the way to what we see as the ultimate fulfillment of this in Revelation. And our problem is one word, is exhaustion. God's solution is one word, and that's the word Sabbath. It's the word Sabbath. Now, you might say, well, that's a real churchy term. I didn't invent it. God did, and it's in the Bible, so we're going to use it. God says you need a break. Now, if anybody gets on you this week for taking a break, and that's going to be the assignment, just so you know, if anybody gets on you, then say, the preacher told me that God says I need a break. Okay. Now, they may not believe in God, but it's going to be kind of, they're going to look at you funny and walk away, so at least you get a break from them. So God says you need a break. Now, he's always stressed this. If you want to write down some of these references, we'll focus on one particular passage in just a minute. But at creation, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, God looked at his creation and he said, it's very good. And then what did God do on the seventh day? He what? He rested. He he took a Sabbath day. He stopped working. He blessed that day of rest and he set it aside as a holy day. And that has been the pattern throughout scripture. So that's Genesis chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 16, and we'll come back to this in just a second, the Israelites are in the wilderness They have left their slavery in Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're going toward the promised land and it was very difficult and they were hungry and thirsty and they complained to God that, look, it would have been better if we had just died back there in Egypt than you to bring us out here to die in the desert. God, what are you doing? We're worn out. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We don't like being out here. So God gave them some food and he gave them a command and that was to take a Sabbath, to cease and desist with all work on one particular day of the week. Now, it's implied that they were familiar with this idea of Sabbath before it was commanded them. They knew the creation story and knew that God had rested. Life was going to be difficult for them in the wilderness, but God wasn't taking them there to make it difficult. He was taking them there to teach them about himself, to teach them to trust him. And so part of that in the wilderness where they thought, we got to take care of ourselves, God said, I want you to stop for one day and rest. In, In Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments. Do you know what one of those commandments is? Keep the Sabbath day what? Holy. For all other days you will work, but on this one day you will rest. You will not work. It's vital to their lives as a nation for the Israelites, and so God included it in part of the Ten Commandments. Leviticus chapter 23, we'll focus on this as we move forward in this series. Life, God's describing for them all that he wants them to celebrate once they get to the promised land. Do you know the first thing that he leads with that they should do weekly? The Sabbath. Every week, there were going to be other kinds of celebrations. Every year, there were several festivals. Every seven years, there was a sabbatical year. Every 50 years, there was something known as the year of Jubilee. God took it seriously, this idea of Sabbath. He required it in their laws. And people didn't obey him, but he required it anyway. And then between the New Testament, the Old Testament rather, and the New Testament, the the Sabbath, if you read the New Testament, you get this idea. The Sabbath became the focal point of religious life for Jews. 
The people who who explained the laws to them focused on the Sabbath, and their whole idea was to keep from breaking the Sabbath. Those folks were known as the Pharisees, and their thing was, don't break the Sabbath. It's the holy day of the Lord. And so what they told the people was, don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this, and so on and so forth, and, and, and on down the line. And they had a whole list of stuff that you couldn't do. All kinds of things that you could not do. And so on one hand, the Pharisees got it right. They knew the Sabbath was a big deal to God. But on the other hand, they missed the point entirely because it wasn't about what you weren't supposed to do. It's about what you were to do. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And if you know anything about Jesus and the Pharisees, you know they didn't really like him too much. And you know what one of the main reasons was they didn't like him? He didn't treat the Sabbath day the way they thought that a Jewish rabbi ought to treat the Sabbath day. You know, instead, he did some stuff they didn't like. He healed people and then looked at them like, what? What are you going to do? He, he, he intentionally did it in front of them. He'd heal people on the Sabbath. And they'd get all over him. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. Well, I just did. And Jesus would say, is it, is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He healed people. In fact, he let his disciples pick some grain out of a field one day. They were hungry. Pharisees got all over him about it. Jesus then defined for them what the Sabbath was all about. A couple things that Jesus did. First, he never renounced the Sabbath, by the way. He never said, don't do this anymore. He never said, this is awful and terrible and was just part of the law and you don't need to do this. What he did was tell them that they had it backward. They were trying to make people jump through all these different hoops. And he said, look, all you're doing is making more work for people to keep from working than it would be if you just said, look, enjoy the Sabbath. And it's intended to, to, to relieve stress, to relieve guilt, to be a day of rest and celebration. And so what about us? What do we do with the Sabbath? If you're a Bible student in any way, you know that, that when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law of God. And so the Old Testament law that was given in, in Exodus and given in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that doesn't apply directly to us as Christians. There are great lessons to learn from that, but that was about the nation of Israel. So what do we do with this law requirement of the Sabbath? Well, here's, here's my conclusion. We're not legally bound with the curses and the punishments that came with the law and so on to keep the Sabbath. But... I do believe that since God established the pattern before he gave the law in Genesis chapter 2, he established the pattern. And since the Israelites seemed to keep the Sabbath before the law came, and since Jesus showed its proper meaning and he never nullified it in the first place, I think it's something that we ought to pay attention to. I think it's something that God said from creation to revelation, this idea of rest and taking a Sabbath is important, and so maybe it's something that we ought to do as well. It's still a gift from God for our benefit and for His glory and for a testimony to the world that we're different from them. So it's not about law today. It's not about rules. It's not about me checking up on you this week. Did you take your Sabbath day? Did you not do this? Did you not do that? Did, did you not cut the grass? Did you not chop some wood? Did you not whatever? That's not what I'm going to do. But it's about what we're missing by not taking God up on His gracious offer of rest and provision that we so desperately need. So our problem is exhaustion. God's solution is the Sabbath, and we've got a response to make this morning. I'm going to give you four things, four ways that we can respond from Exodus chapter 16. Now, if you want to turn there with me, let's look at it. Exodus chapter 16. If you want to hold a place also in Matthew chapter 11, we'll get there in just a moment. 
Now, as I told you, in Exodus 16, the setting here is the wilderness. The wilderness of Sinai, as the Israelites have left their slavery, they've marched across the Red Sea, uh, they've been given freedom from their oppressors and their slaveholders, and now they find themselves out in the wilderness. It says here in verse 1, the entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. We sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Now listen, they were in slavery. None of us have ever experienced that. This was the most awful time of their lives. They complained for years. For 400 years they complained, God, why won't you get us out of slavery? And so for a couple months they're out in the wilderness and they say, well, we had all we ever wanted there in slavery. Are we not the most fickle people in the whole world? I mean, my goodness. God, I need you to get me out of this. Lord, I need a new job. God gives you a new job. I hate this job. God, give me something different. Every stage of life, doesn't it bring the opportunity for grumbling anyway? They had pots of meat and all the bread they wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make the whole assembly die of hunger. They're exhausted. They're frustrated. They're hopeless. They don't understand. And they want God to rescue them from their situation. You've been there? You understand? You know what that's like? Every stage of life is difficult and more than the one before it. And you say, God, why in the world have you brought me to this point? God, I'm exhausted. I don't want to deal with this anymore. It'd been better if you just left me back where I was. God never brought me to this point because this is worse. What's God going to do? They wanted him to rescue them. Get us out of this wilderness. You realize that God's solution wasn't to rescue them from their situation, but to rescue them in their situation, don't miss the caveat. He was going to show them how they can be refreshed right where they were. You realize, folks, your situation might not change. You, uh, I'm going to be critical for just a second. Not of you, but of the dudes on TV. Okay, I talk about these dudes sometimes. They tell you that if you just have enough faith, you just pray enough, you just give enough, you just serve enough, you just do the right stuff, and guess what? God's going to get you out of where you are. Is that not the biggest load of garbage? Because guess what? Some of you have prayed for years, haven't you? Some of you have been faithful givers to the church. Some of you sent you money to that dude, and nothing happened. All you got was a hanky that was sprinkled with some kind of something to make it look like a dude cried on it, okay? I mean, seriously, I'm being critical, but let's just be honest. And nothing has changed, has it? And the promise of God to get you out of your situation, is it any different? No. That guy promised you. This prayer hanky's going to work. It's going to work. Put it under your pillow. God was not in the business here of rescuing the Israelites out of their situation, but rescuing them in the middle of their situation. Don't miss what God wants to do in the middle of where you are right now. His solution for your exhaustion is not necessarily to get you out, but to give you refreshment and rest and Sabbath right in the middle of where you are. And so our first response is what he commanded the Israelites to do. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit, verse 23. And the first of these four is the word stop. Our first response is to stop. God said, I'm going to give you some food. You're hungry? Fine. I'm going to feed you. But guess what? You're going to have some parameters around how you collect this food. There was going to be some manna 
that would come down from heaven and there would be some stuff there on the ground that they would be able to collect. And it says in verse 23, he told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. Here was the deal. They were going to collect enough food in six days to last them for seven. God said, look, don't try to collect food on the seventh day because there ain't going to be any. Not going to be any there. You keep what you're going to need for the seventh day and you take a break. You stop what you were doing for that seventh day. Tomorrow is a holy Sabbath. The word Sabbath, if you want to know what the word Sabbath means, it means stop, cease, desist, stop. That's what it means. And we operate as if we have no limits. As if we can just keep going without ever stopping. And by choosing to embrace God's rhythm of weekly Sabbath, then we intentionally remind ourselves and everyone else that we have limits. All, all this kind of stopping here has at its heart that we trust the Lord. Some of us don't stop because we don't trust God. That's just the honest truth, isn't it? Some of us just keep going and going and going. I'm going to do and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do some more. And I, well, I can't stop. Why? Because well, everything's going to fall apart. I can't stop. Why? Because I won't, I won't make the same amount of money. I, I can't stop because I don't trust God. That's at the heart of it is why we won't stop. And so let me encourage you this week, and I mean very specifically this week, to stop. I'll just tell you, I'm no good at this. I, I, you know, I get to stand up here and talk with you about it, but I am no good at Sabbath rest. Not at all. Never have been, and I'm not any good right now. So, I, you know, blind leading the blind maybe this morning. I don't know, but I am no good at this. And so as I was reading through and studying through this week and realized that the Lord wanted me to lead off this series with a sermon on the Sabbath, I thought, God, who in the world am I to tell these people to take a break and stop? I'm terrible at this. But let me encourage you and encourage myself and challenge us all to stop this week at some point to stop our normal routine. And that's the key, to, stop, to interrupt and stop and pause what we would normally do. Our normal physical activities, or our emotional responsibilities, our mental practices, our work. This kind of stopping has got to be intentional. Guess what? It won't just happen, will it? You know, yesterday I, I, I got a phone call that was, that was association. Related. And 